Human interviews are all about capturing people's diverse passions and special skill sets. Bob Garlick and Andrew McGivern chat with local and international specialists to find out what they do and why they do it. Hey everybody, it's Bob here again. I have my salubrious host, uh, salubrious, I shouldn't use that word, that doesn't fit for Andrew. My cool as a cucumber host, Andrew McGivern. Andrew, I think we've got uh, a repeat guest on the show again. We do. We always How do you spell it. salubrious? i got to look it up. I went to Catholic boys' school. I'm not sure I know that one. S-E-L-U-B-R-I-O-S. Oh, he's health-giving, healthy. Yeah. yeah. It's salubrious weather. Nice. Pleasant, not run down. Andrew, Andrew, you, sir, are not run down. <laughs> that is a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that was the voice of Steve Dotto, Canadian technology expert, keynote speaker on technology. I, I prefer Canadian technology legend if, if we have to go down that path. The legends, Canadian small character. small C celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> so you you uh, I, I'm looking at your website here, and, and you've got a, a lot of uh, clients that have, have hired you to do speaking, like big name, oh, big I name marquee that. brands. Oh yeah, I love the speaking stuff. That's kept me going for a long time. You know, I, I have a performance background. Believe it or not, before I started doing my own TV show back way back in the day, I used to I got cast by Second City. Uh, as a performer, wow. as an actor, uh, but I wasn't very good. And I was in, I was in a cast with um, with Ryan Stiles, the guy from uh, the yep. Drew Carey show, Hilarious. and and Pat McKenna, who is the uh, the nephew on the Red Green show. And these two guys are genuinely funny, and I'm just sort of funny, mostly funny. And I got fired from that cast. Uh, but live stage and live performance is still my passion. I still do theater around town here in Vancouver. I still do the odd play and the odd musical. So uh, standing in front of an audience to me is, uh, that's that's the buzz that I love. And so the, I get a lot of that opportunity out of the when I get to, to speak. And the thing about technology is I don't really love technology, but I'm really passionate about the impact technology has on us as a society, how it's changing us, uh, and the effect that it's having that we often don't look at. So when I get a chance to speak, a, to, to keynote a conference and to kind of get them kicked off and have people look at technology in an entirely different way, I look at that as a tremendous opportunity and, and a real responsibility that, to deliver a real solid and profound message. So, yeah, I love the speaking side. So when you're talking a profound message, what are you talking about? You're talking about how people are delusional about uh, technology or what? You know, you know the, 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 me- the message that I'm giving lately and, and talking a lot about is to our generations, the baby boomers. And uh, we dealing with change and what social media means, its impact it's having on us and how we can't ignore it. You know, they call it, you know, they, they break the generations down, Gen X, Gen Y, into those categories. But lately they've been breaking us down more into the, the uh, digital immigrants and digital natives. That's the term you hear an awful lot, right? We're the digital immigrants because we came to life, we came to technology later in life. But I think that does us all a disservice because technology is having such a profound impact on the world we live in. You know, I didn't wait. My my grandmother, my Italian grandmother, she and my grandfather immigrated in 1920 to Canada from Italy. They chose to come. They knew that they were going to be strangers in a strange land. They knew they were going to have to learn a new language, a new culture, a new currency. They knew that everything was going to be different, and it was their responsibility to learn these things. I don't recall waking up one morning and saying, 
Uh, Bob, I'd like to live in a world where change is relentless and constant. <laughs> I'd like to live in a world where a phone costs $700 and is obsolete tomorrow. I would like to live in a world where things change so rapidly and so fast that everything I know knew yesterday is obsolete tomorrow, where kids know more about the most important technology than I do, where I feel insecure. At 54, I feel insecure <laughs> setting up a Facebook profile because I think people might be laughing at me when I make a mistake. That's the world I want to live in. No. Yeah. See, we're not digital immigrants. Not at all. We are digital refugees. Oh, nice. <laughs> the world has changed around us without us saying we wanted it to happen. We didn't buy in on it. Now, it doesn't change our responsibility. See, the thing about the internet, the thing, the message that I love giving to these people and wake-up call that I love to give is the internet is a place. It's not a thing. It's a place. It's part of our society. And you dragging your heels, you rejecting it, the only one you hurt is you and the ones you love because it means that you're going to very quickly become irrelevant in this world because you're not going to understand the world. You're going to be that special needs grandpa or that special needs mom that doesn't really understand that the kids smile about and say, my mom doesn't understand texting, so you know we don't, we don't talk to her about these things. Mm. Is, that, is that what any of us want to be? Well, I so think That's that the wake-up call I love to give. I think uh, one of the words I hear a lot is being um, illiterate and illiterate in the sense that if you don't know how to use email, you're considered you're illiterate, which is tragic because that person can read, they can write, they just can't interface with the new society. Digital literacy. They don't understand. They don't. And, you know, part and parcel with that is they don't respect it. Here's the thing. I've given talks where I've had people say, you know, I don't want I don't want my kids using Facebook. I want them to have real relationships. I don't want these digital relationships. What a load of crap. You know, I mean, really, real relationships? Who determines what's real or not? You know, soldiers during the Second World War fell in love with, the, with, with, with people uh, across an ocean with every letter being read by somebody else, a censor, who would, they know every letter that was going to be read by somebody else. They were razor blading out sections. The letter, letters came out of sequence and sometimes months apart. They still carried the weight for people to fall in love and forge lifelong bonds. What part of those relationships are real, uh, you know, by, by those standards? You know, as human beings, we've got this tremendous capacity to use whatever technology we find at our fingertips and communicate. That's what we do. That's what we love is communication. That's the nature of social media. It's communication. Uh, this might seem sacrilegious to some, uh, some people, but social media is really the essence of what makes us human. We love communicating with each other. We love discourse, dialogue, engagement. That's what we do. And, you know, the people who say, I won't go on Facebook because I don't want to know what you had for breakfast this morning. That's what they say. And, and, and you know, there's some, there's some truth to that. But you know what? That same person... When they walked into the office this morning, you know what they said to their coworkers? Boy, it's a nice day out, isn't it? Yeah. Sun sure shining. <laughs> Goes well with that. At that What's more mundane? Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, which of those statements? What I had for breakfast? It's sun it's sure nice out. Which one of those is a more mundane? Ninety-nine percent of all of our conversation is mundane. It's not p profound. The same percentage of profound conversation takes place in the online world it does as it does in the offline world. It's just another tool, and we better get on that. We, you know, our generation had better get on board, or we're not going to be able to participate as we move ahead, and everybody loses as a result of that. Well, what about um, like I notice on 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 social media, especially? There's a lot of people that are trying to communicate, but they're doing it very poorly because they don't understand how to do it. They they come on and and they try to use big words or they use 
other people's quotes to make them sound special. Why can't they just get on and be human and, and be upfront and, and honest? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I think because they read people's advice that tell them how to become, how to how to go on. You know, I've I've sat down in in, in workshops and seen people and heard people say in, in workshops that I've been involved in. Uh, what you want to do on Twitter is you want to look for really interesting news stories and then tweet them out. I've had people that I've been working in workshops say that, and I've I've kind of got to bite my tongue, and sometimes I don't bite my tongue and say, no, that's not what you have to do. You have to get involved in an intelligent conversation. If you have something to give, if you have something to offer. Offer it. If not, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Then, in that case, you use it to audit. You use it to learn and read. But you know, say something of value. Say something that's important. Say something that, uh, you know, yes, it's okay to be a curator to find interesting things and share it. I mean, I do that. You do that. That's what this is. Is a form of curation. But we add a lot of context whenever we do it. We're not just playing a video of somebody else or just putting up somebody else's quote. We're adding context. We're adding. We're adding discussion. We're we're we're, we're building on the work that's come before. Uh, just just uh, people just don't understand yet. You know, uh, and and that the big the biggest issue there is all of that 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 world of social media consultants everybody you know it used to be if you didn't know what you were doing you hung your 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 shingle as a desktop publishing consultant and then you know as a web consultant and now you hang it as a social media consultant and and while there are a lot of terrific social media consultants out there that do understand how social media works there's an awful lot more that just basically look it up the day before they go in and meet with a client yep exactly they can tell you make it, I guess, is the term. Yeah, that works. <laughs> you know, I, I've been guilty of that in the past myself. Uh, Not what too do, often, though. What do you think about the productivity of, of us as, as uh, human beings using social media? Do you think we're, we're more productive these days because we have all these tools and these ways, ways of communicating? You know, it's, it's that's really the product, the, the modern productivity paradox, right? Is, you know, we re- first coined back when email was kind of, you know, really reaching its zenith and we were suddenly, uh, we didn't, nobody's ever taught us how to manage this flow of information. And what was the quote from Google the other day? That every two years now, we produce the equivalent amount of information as all of history has produced up yep. to that point. Yeah. We're duplicating all the content we've ever produced for the whole of, of our existences and then as doubling sentient it. beings. And yeah. then, so then <laughs> and so again, in two and years, again, and again. we've done the, the, we've done everything plus the doubling that happened the two years before. Mm-hmm. So it's some sort of logarithmic expl- explosion of all of this data. Um, I read in 2012, the average person wrote something like 41,000 words in email, which is the same number of words as is in Animal Farm. That's how much. That's how much writing communication. The average, not writers, the average person wrote in mm. email, and then somebody had to read it, interpret it, theoretically, and then, and then respond, and then forward it to somebody, and then forward it to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to get another opinion. And so, so with the email, so the the productivity paradox is all of these tools designed to make us more efficient, better communicators, work faster, are in fact getting in the way of us getting things done. Because we have a an overload of information flowing in, we've got to, and we're not taught talk te- taught techniques how to handle that. We're not taught how to handle email, to, how to manage our inbox. Uh, who's been taught how to properly put a subject matter in an email so it's really clear what's in the in the email? Who's been taught what proper CC or BCC or two fields are for? You know, in an email, believe it or not, people listening to this show, and when I say this, will go, "Oh, that makes sense." Uh, the two field is to somebody who has to take action on the email. 
The CC is to somebody who has to audit it, but they don't have to reply. They don't have to say anything about it. Exactly. The BCC is typically speaking just plain rude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's it. You know. So if you if you're CC'd an email, you don't have any responsibility to reply to it because you're just you're just auditing it. But if it's to you, you have a responsibility to reply to it. It's your j job. So we a lot of people go, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, right. Never we nev thought. because we've never been taught it. Yeah, we aren't taught. So now, when we we start with email, but then we have the web, and then we have Twitter, and then we have Facebook status updates, and then we have LinkedIn, and now we have Instagram, and we've got this river of information flowing by, flowing into our screen. And you've got a probably twenty-seven inch or a thirty-two inch screen there, and I've got a twenty-eight inch screen or a twenty-seven inch screen here, and that's a lot of. That's a lot of information for this much real estate to categorize and for me to organize, but I use the technology to do my best. But that's not good enough for us anymore. No, no, no. We've now got to send that information onto a screen that is this big, right? Oh, you know, even if you're, you're like Andrew screen. and you have three of them, now, <laughs> but we're now we're sending that same flow of information. We expect to do the same things on this screen. So how can we, how can we ever expect to be as productive as we used to be, get as much done? Not only that, while you're processing all that information on the little screen, you're listening to a podcast. <laughs> the distracted nature. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And you know that's the thing about concentration is I w I've been doing a lot of work on productivity. I've been doing a series of workshops on productivity that I've delivered in the Vancouver and in, in the Lower Mainland area. And now I'm building them into an online course. That's my kind of newest business venture is building online courses around productivity. So it turns out that we've all been in that zone when we're concentrating on a task and we're getting so much done. You know, we're just moving ahead and it's just, it's effortless. Our, we have clarity of thought. We have purpose. We, and we're just able to produce far more work than we ever thought we could in a very short period of time. It turns out that that's not one of those magic moments in our life. That's something that we can recreate over and over again because there's momentum to concentration and concentration equals productivity. So every minute we spend focused on a task, we end up applying that much more of our resources, of our faculties to that task to the point where we're supercharged on the task and we're like in fifth gear cruising down the highway getting stuff done. But the second that we get distracted, boom, we're back to first gear and we're starting over again. It takes about seven minutes to maintain, to reach maximum productivity, but we can lose it. And, and we all have these massive amounts of distraction happening. I've, you know, you've got the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Google alerts appearing in your, in your window. And when you're on a task that you don't really want to work on, when you're doing your accounting and all of a sudden you see a tweet about you, I'm like a freaking magpie. I'm going, oh, oh, somebody's talking about me. I want to see what they're saying, right? So, so it's very easy to lose that concentration. So there are some techniques that people follow. There's a tool called the Pomodoro technique, which is oh, yeah, yeah. ridiculous. It's a, allowing a tomato to rule your life. But it's a timer that you basically break the day into 25-minute increments where you eliminate distraction, focus on a task for 25 minutes, then give yourself a, a refresh break, then 25 minutes. So you, it's like interval training for your mind. So is that Those things work. Is that the one that shuts off everything on your computer except for what you're doing? Well, there are tools that'll do it. Just like, you know, the getting things done, the GTD philosophy, the Dave yeah. Allen thing. There are tools that you can install that support that kind of technique. The Pomodoro technique overall, I don't think it'll actually uh, eliminate uh, stuff on your computer, but a lot of people will do that. They will choose a... You know that 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 uh, that non-distractive mode where they've just got a white sheet of paper and nothing else if they're working on a document or something like that. And so, if you can eliminate distractions yourself, you can uh, you can uh, you can take advantage. You can basically implement a lot of this stuff yourself. But the key is to understand the cost of distraction. We don't think about that. We think we can multitask. 
the number of people still making phone calls on their car tell us that we think we can multitask just fine. We really can't. Studies have proven that men are worse than women, but uh, multitasking for man is the equivalent of having, I think, three beers, and for a woman it's the equivalent of having two beers as far as your faculties. Hmm. Uh, one thing I liked about the getting things done philosophy is just understanding the concept of open loops. Ah, oh, uh, what a great introduction. Yes. That's that that email. That's the number one thing I got out of that book is being able to just put things in a closed loop, at least even temporarily, and out of your mind. Building a trusted system. So for people that don't know, we're talking about Dave Allen's getting things done. Dave Allen is really the godfather awesome. of modern productivity, and he talks. I mean, the basis of his philosophy is your cheapest engagement is your first. When you open an email, deal with it. It's it's not an option to close it. An option is forward it to somebody else, reply to it. Put it into a system where it's going to return to you if you need more information. Uh, throw it in the trash or delegate it or archive it. Mm -hmm. If you, you have to take one of those actions. The very small percentage of those emails become what you call those open loops. And the cost of open loops in our life, that email that is important, you've read, you know about, you've closed, and it now sits in your inbox. Now, what happens with people is they leave that email in their inbox, and it slowly migrates its way south to the fold, right? And every time they look at their email, and the average North American knowledge worker checks their email, are you sitting down? Yes, you are 40 <laughs> times a day. Yep. Four zero. And they don't just check their email. No, they check their email for new messages, but then they visually scan all through all of their other email for those open loops, for things that they have to do because they're worried they're going to miss out on something important. They're worried that something's going to fall through the cracks. And very quickly, they have more email than they have screen real estate. So guess what? There's stuff underneath the fold. They have to scroll up and look. So instead of using hardware and software to manage and to keep you on track, we've got all these great tools, they're using their wetware. They're using their eyes and their brain, and they're reading it over and over and over again. And even if it's just looking at the subject line over and over again, that's processing cycles that you're using and energy you're spending. And stress you're building because you see it, you know you have to do something about it, and you're worried about it because you're worried that it's going to get lost down there in the inbox. So what's the last thing that people do before they go to sleep at night? They get home, they go to bed, they've had a hard day at work, they go to bed and they go, I have to remember tomorrow to do this. Yeah. <laughs> These are the things. They worry before they go to sleep, which creates more stress and they're in a downward cycle with this stuff. Yeah. It's Most of it comes from our inbox. Most stress is generated with your inbox because you're worried about stuff that you have to do. And we have to overcome that. You know, we have to learn good techniques and training to overcome that. That's why I that's why I'm building these courses. Is it's teaching people to do these things. And technology does help, but also we require technique and discipline. Those are other things that we need. I think you hit the, uh, the it's having the discipline. Like I, I have an inbox uh, strategy that um on Friday, I have to have everything gone on my inbox. So by Wednesday, it's like, wow, I got 20 things. What am I going to get rid of? And what am I going to schedule for next week? And I'm literally taking an email, giving it an action. So, oh, I have to accomplish this. And then doing, I'm going to do that for two hours on next Tuesday. And yeah, that, yeah. that well, amount of time blocked system. out. Then you can forget about it because you trust your system is going to tell you that yep. you have to deal with it. Yep. You know. And there's a lot of tools. What do you use? Do you just put it in your calendar? Absolutely. See, there's, a, there's other Simple ways that you better. can do that. <laughs> For well, me. no, I don't like having that in my calendar. Here, here's a thought, Bob. I don't like that in my calendar because I want to look at my calendar and I want to know what my appointments are with other people and, mm. and where I have to be. So I don't like seeing emails that I have to work on in my calendar because they create stress to me there. Mm. I see them there and then they create some stress. Instead, I use a tool like Boomerang 
mm-hmm. which is a plugin in Gmail that you click on an email and say, return this to me at this point. And mm-hmm. so it disappears from your inbox, but then it bubbles back up to the surface at the appropriate time. So if you're checking your email every hour, for example, at the appointed hour on the day that you're supposed to do that, it's going to bubble back up to the top of the email and you're going to see it. Uh, SaneBox has a similar tool. SaneBox is just a wonderful email. I've actually just finished a video on it today that I just posted. You can be one of the first couple of dozen people to watch it. But SaneBox has a similar tool that will cause you that you can basically assign email to be returned to you at an appropriate time. Is that an an iOS app? No, they're not even. They're they're browser plugins. Okay, there's one. um, There's an iOS app that I was using when the iPhone was my primary phone and it was awesome. It works only for Gmail right now, but they're adding other uh, other Dispatch? No, I think it was just called Mailbox. Yeah, Mailbox is a very good one. I've used Mailbox, and it's quite a good one. And it's yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great, it's a very getting things done oriented iPhone app. It's been kind of supplanted by most of the productivityists in the world by one called Dispatch now, mm. because Dispatch does all of the things as far as on your phone. You where you want to deal with email primarily is what they call email triage. You just mm-hmm. want to audit things and put things into and just basically get rid of the junk. You know, throw stuff out that doesn't need to be looked at, and put it into proper uh, kind of put it into the proper workflows. And so, Mailbox did a very good job of that by swiping a email to the right or to the left for it. Yeah, the awesome. new one is called Dispatch, and it add, it does those things, but it also adds integrations for snippets. Now, snippets speak to one of the most powerful productivity tools you can add to a Mac, or uh, it, which is called Text Expander. I don't know if you've used Text Expander, but it's a little keyboard utility that you plug in that does keyboard macros that allows you to do all these character strings uh, for 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 um, the text strings. So basically, you can have all sorts of keyboard shortcuts for for pretty much everything from email signatures to your address. I use it for URLs. You know what I use it for? I use it for Bitly URLs mm. because. Um, I, I love to use Hootsuite, but Hootsuite in their in their brilliance don't let us don't let us interface with Bitly. <laughs> so because they want us to use their Hootly or whatever their Hootsuite or whatever theirs and yeah. pay them, um, I'm happy to pay for the premium service. I just don't want to pay for the for the for the, uh, the the link shortening. So I for all of my Bitly links I create text expander macros, and so that when I'm t- when I'm tweeting I I don't have to remember that the the you know the the cryptic. Uh, the cryptic Bitly code I just put in. If it's my if it's my website, I just go in U U R L and it puts in my website, but the Bitly code for it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very cool. And the other thing that's great for it is people that do a lot of typos. I do lots oh, of typos and I do lots of letter transposition things, and I always miss them. So it automatically <laughs> corrects them for that. Text expander, the best thirty nine bucks you'll spend on your computer. Is there a Windows equivalent? There is. I can't remember the name, but if you go to the text expander or you just search text expander for Windows, it'll tell you what it is. Or are you in Windows? You're a Windows dude. Well, I've you got. Look like you look way cooler than a Windows. <laughs> he's the new. I, he's the. He's the one. He's the tablet I, Windows. That's cool. I used to be a um, a Mac person. Uh, I was. I was Windows. Then I went Mac about three three years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, I wanted. Uh, I wanted a hybrid. I want. I got the the Lenovo Yoga. Oh, that's a nice PC. Oh my gosh, yes, so that's I, a really nice one. I, I like using it in in uh, most of the modes. I like. I use yeah. it as a tablet a little bit. I use it in mm-hmm. the in the. Um, <clears throat> What do you call it? They have the tent mode, and they have the- yeah. Though so that's a gorgeous notebook. Phrase Express is the Windows version of Text Expander, and it uses this this this, this snippet standard works. But what I was going to say about Dispatch is the same snippets, and you can use the same library. You can then import onto your phone. Now I snore, snore, I snore, <laughs> I store my snippets in Dropbox, so my desktop and my notebook have access to the same library of snippets. So uh, you know, regardless of what keyboard I'm on, I have access to the same snippet library. Well, you must be a big fan of Evernote then. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. I heart Evernote. So that's why you like the Z10, because it's got Evernote integration? No, it's the Evernote integration in the Z10 sucks. Oh, did I say that out loud? It's way too limiting. That's one of the problems with the Z10. Is, oh, is the Evernote they dumbed it down? Sucks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Evernote, it, to me, Evernote is is the evolution of organization. That's awesome. And, and we're starting to see it in other areas. Now, to be fair, OneNote in Windows is Evernote's equal in almost mm-hmm. every way. It's a phenomenal app. And if I was in Windows, I would happily live in OneNote. I, and that's, the only, that's one of the only things I missed from my Windows days is uh, OneNote. I loved using OneNote, even back in, in the Windows XP days. Well, what um, makes it better? Uh, well, the thing, about, the thing that you have to, that Evernote, that we need to understand about Evernote is it's changing our organizational metaphor from a physical file structure visual metaphor to a tag-based metaphor. And we're starting to see this manifest itself with Apple, with operating systems. So here's how uh, Evernote basically works. In the past, if you were organizing a whole bunch of different small little documents, little bits of information, we would put them in folders. In our email, we put everything in a folder, and then we have nested folders, which mimics the real-world structure of file folders, file cabinets, and folders in subfolders, right? So we would so we'd have a visual organization or alphabetical that we could see, and if we couldn't search for something, we could manually navigate our way through just by knowing our folder structure, right? Yeah. That was our organizational metaphor for the computers up until now. Mm. Now it changes because of tags, and Google... And uh, Evernote and people like Apple, they get this. So instead of now organizing all of your bits of information in, into, little, into little nested folders, you add tags, logical tags, and use search. And you go through, and when you're looking for something, you just type in the tag, and then it filters down and brings up the documents to the top. It's like having a Harry Potter magic wand, throwing all of your documents, everything into a big-ass box, and then instead of looking through it for all of the receipts from your trip to Toronto, you just type in Toronto trip receipts because you've tagged all of those little documents and never notice you've done it. You wave your wand over and all of those magically rise to the top. You deal with them as you need to and then you drop them, they settle back down and then you use more tags to call things up a little bit later. Apple's introduced uh, finder-based tags to mm. the OS. Slipped under everybody's radar in their last announcement a couple of weeks ago, when I saw that, my ears perked up right away because tag-based search is changing the world for us because that's how we don't need to file things away. We just need to logically label it as it goes into a big Dropbox that we can find. It's the same with our email now. Anybody that uses Gmail knows how good it is, how you don't really have to create that, that real big hierarchical file structure because you can just archive it, and if you search, you find mm-hmm. it way more than in any other email before. Why? Google's the search company; they yeah. get search. Well, it's so that's that's the new that's kind of the new paradigm that we're going to start getting our head around. That's why I like Evernote; it's at the heart of that entire paradigm. Yeah, I, if for me, it I really started getting excited about um, tags when I got into uh, WordPress because I realized oh. when I, I put in a, a story, I could add three or four tags, and then people could find my content based on those tags, or I could look for stories a year and a half later and be able to actually find the story. Oh, here's the seven stories with that tag. Oh, that's the yeah. one. And I had no idea what I put in it. And now when I look for stuff on my computer, it's like I don't look for the name of it. I try and remember some of the words that. That I used or a phrase yep. and I, I search for a phrase because exactly. the search looks inside the documents now. That's crazy. Yeah. 
and, and, and the tags are outside the documents. They're really fast to find. You know what I do when I'm sitting on a plane now? I used to do email. I used to clean up my email inbox. You know what I do when I'm on a plane now? I open Evernote and I clean up my tags. I look at my tags. <laughs> I look at, I look because Evernote gives you a tag count. If you go in and I can say, oh, I only have one tag, one document that has this tag on it. Mm. So I look at that document. I say, well, this would be more effectively tagged with these other tags. Mm. Right, and so I just basically do. I spend you know two or three hours of maintenance on it on the way to Toronto or on the way back, and it's easy work. It's light lifting, but it's just it's just because I, I'm just maintaining my Evernote because I've committed an awful lot of my knowledge base into Evernote. Very cool. So, do you think with all these different uh, technologies like Evernote, OneNote, and uh, every other thing, you know, the Mailbox app, you were mentioning that technology is causing anxiety and and uh, these are the solutions but just having all these solutions for someone who's not um, you know aren't in the geek community like we are yeah uh, what do you say to people how do you how do you get over that that initial hump take my course yeah exactly (laughs) it's job security for me no it's not good you know it's overall as a society these things don't make us better you know I, I don't think that the amount of stress that we're putting on people and the, and the fact that we're insisting that now we become lifelong learners by insistence, not for joy, not for the joy of learning, mm. but to survive and to remain relevant. I don't think that's a healthy thing for our society. I think it's healthy for individuals to take on the challenge and engage with it, but it's, the, it's necessity. You know, it's necessity that's driving it. Our parents thought that they would know everything they needed to know to get by in the rest of their life by the time they were, what, 40? Yeah. They didn't expect to have to learn all the way through to the end days. You know, I lost my dad a few years back, and I can still. My dad was a really vibrant, intelligent man, always at the heart of all family matters, and he always had an opinion on everything that went on in our lives, whether we wanted him to have it or not. Yeah, I can still remember towards the end of my dad's life, he was still smart, he was still sharp as a tack, but we were having a conversation that he didn't understand what was going on. It was about a piece of technology, and it was just, it, it was, you know, my brother and I were having a chat about something, and he didn't understand it. And it was the first time this had happened to him. And I looked over, and I could see, I had a flash of insight. I could see the pain, and I could see what it took out of him and how much it hurt him not to be relevant in that conversation mm. because that was what, how he saw his value, being relevant to us, to the family. We still love him but he wasn't relevant in this conversation. And to me, that, the expression on his face then was worse than when, you know, when he was told about illnesses that he had, you know, getting old, you know, they've got all sorts of illnesses. He took those in stride. This shook him. And I realized that I have the same value system as my dad. I want to be relevant to my last breath. And the only way I can be relevant is I have to stay not on top of technology, but I have to stay engaged. I have to, I can't let myself fall too far behind. I have to be, I have to understand enough about what's going on in order to remain in the conversation. And the good news is nobody can stay on top of everything. We've had a conversation here over the last couple of shows between you guys. We're all real geeks, yet each one of us has brought up something which is self-evident to the other one that one of us didn't know anything about. And there was no judgment back and forth. That was like awesome. 
Yeah, it's impossible for us. We understand that. We respect that. Adults, and especially older generations, don't understand that they don't need to know everything. You know, a, a 65 or a 75 or an 85-year-old man who's built a, built his family's future and taken care of them and sheltered them for all the years of his life, he lived his life thinking that he was the shield that protected his family from the world. He understood better than everybody else, and he was the filter that everything flowed through. It's very difficult for them to accept a diminished role and understand that a diminished role doesn't diminish them, that nobody can maintain that. That's a very difficult chasm for these gentlemen and these women to cross. And that's our responsibility. We've got to keep them engaged or we lose them. And they're, you know, you're talking about the digital divide, this chasm that will divide the digitally literate and those that are digitally illiterate. We can't have that because we lose too many people. We, we just marginalize too many people if that happens. That's one of the, my passions when I speak is, 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 is attacking people and not attacking them, but challenging them to step up to the plate and take on this challenge that technology represents in our society. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's like um, if you do run into people like that, you have to understand that some people just aren't up to your speed and to slow it down and dumb yourself down and say, hey, don't worry about it. And you come up with ridiculous metaphors so that they understand and they feel better. It's, it's about making them feel comfortable in the technology environment. It's not about one-upmanship. Yeah, you're definitely right. It's not about one-upmanship. I agree with you there. And um, but I'm not sure dumbing down is necessarily always the answer. I'm probably sure you didn't mean it the, quite the way it came out there. But you know, they, they have to become literate. You know, there's a literacy level that has to be there, and they have to understand the value in their life in what they give up by not being literate. And I don't think a lot of them do that thought. I, I was fortunate enough to speak in North Vancouver two weeks ago to the Probus Business Group, which is all these retired gentlemen. Uh, and so the youngest guy in the room was probably 65 or 68 years old, and the oldest, I don't know how old he was, but these are all really successful people who had done such a wonderful job. And I do this message of social responsibility and uh, generational issues. And when I asked how many of them were on Facebook, which is always kind of a leading question that I put forward each time, um, only out of, out of 240, 250 gentlemen in the room, like 25 hands went up. It was, wow. It was stark. And, and I've never spoken to a group, not in the last five years that had such a low engagement. And I thought that these guys really would reject and really feel threatened by the, this message. Because I don't pull punches. I do it just like I was doing here now. But you should have seen the energy in the room that these guys were showing. Because nobody had explained it to them this way. Nobody had explained to them how the internet is uh, that them disengaging doesn't just cost them, but it costs people who care about them because it means that they can't participate as much yeah. because they will lose touch. And and it was like there was like there was like a call to action. They were all like ready to go. It was, it was very cool. <laughs> well, you know, it's like being having uh, Steve Dotto on the show today, and it's almost like we've been having our own private um, lecture because it he's on fire. He's oh. absolutely on fire. It's awesome stuff. I'm cooking. Someone's turned down the heat. <laughs> well, it is hot today, uh, Andrew. Before we run away, do you have one last question for Steve? Uh, yeah, like in terms of, um, we talked about software and things like that, but what about, uh, what about devices, uh, devices and computers and PCs? I know when they work well, you know, awesome, but when there's, <laughs> when they don't do what you want them to do, you know, you this, the anxiety starts to build and you just want to, you know, smash it on the, <laughs> on the floor or whatever. Uh, how do you deal with that kind of, uh, well, fortunately, I mean the you know the this the the hardware issues that we used to have back even you know eight ten years ago you know with 
you know, when we were building our own PCs and dealing with mm -hmm. motherboards and uh, video cards and RAM and hard drives and IDE and, you know, in upgrading a computer. I mean, do you remember what it was like back in the day when you moved from one notebook to another, those, what were they called, PSD files? Mm -hmm. The Outlook PSD files? Yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah. God. Yeah, you know, fortunately, those those things don't happen that much anymore. Um, you know, a lot of consumer companies, their responsibility is that education component. You know, uh, I look at products like, uh, oh, um, it's called Pogo Plug. You know, just an incredibly powerful tool, Pogo Plug, uh, which allows you to build your own cloud server, right? Mm -hmm. And they're at London Drugs now for like $39. Whoa. They're ridiculous. You know, you can you can put together your a two terabyte drive, a web web drive, basically on server for like 120 bucks. <laughs> uh, but it's just it's just too difficult a concept for people to get their heads around. It's same with things like Slingbox and stuff like that. There's a lot of tools out there that just are still a little too on the on the geek side. And the technology companies they they bear a lot of the responsibility in how they bring these products to market, who they bring them out for. And, and, and the problem is that they're being challenged continuously to release new products because they have to race to stay ahead. One of the real shames, and in, 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 in I think what causes what you're asking about there, Andrew, is bottom line, you know, the race to the bottom line to sell. Yeah. You know, there's no good reason why, we have to, why Apple has to come up with a new phone every year. There's really no good reason uh, other than because our phone should, other than the home button on the Apple phone, um, on the iPhone, our phone should last us for three or four years, and we shouldn't be thinking about getting a new phone in that period of time, just from a responsibility point of view. But how many of us keep our phones for three or four years now? Do you? Well, I, I tr well I try and be responsible um, with my pocketbook but, as well. But I will yeah. buy the most advanced phone that's out there when I buy my phone, and I'll sit on it for three years, sure. And what you I'll do. do is I'll downgrade it to the rest of the family. So my wife's got my old yeah. Samsung X, and my kids have got the Blackberries that I was playing with four or five years ago. So Yeah, and that's a good way to do things, other than, you know, your poor kids probably are. They hate my guts, yes. <laughs> yeah. Dad, I want to <laughs> Go get a job. Like, everybody's laughing at me with this <laughs> Blackberry. It's got a rollerball in it, Dad. It's got a rollerball. <laughs> Who's got a rollerball? <laughs> So I, I do change my phone frequently, but I'm I'm allowed to because I'm in the you're in the tech industry. Yeah, that's what I I saw. I, I saw but phones, so. but that constant change, that constant churn, means that we never get comfortable with any one piece of technology, and we never mm -hmm. and and, it, and you know if you are constantly moving, the, the the target is moving too fast. You know, I was I met with Samsung the other day. I was talking to the mobility people, and I think they're going down the path that Compaq and HP mm. and Sony did and PCs in at, at, at the turn of the century. Uh, when they were um, bloatware was happening, you know, we were getting all of these extra. They were all trying to differentiate themselves in the Windows world, so they were all adding this and that and the other thing to the to the to their to, to their uh, Lenovo. To their PCs. Lenovo and, does that too, right now. They're doing it now too, yeah. And you look at the Samsung Galaxy S4, and there's so many freaking apps on it. You know, there's there's 500,000 apps in the App Store, 800,000 apps. You don't have to put them all on the phone, now, yeah. dude. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you really don't. I just well, want a battery right? that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just battery that guy can get a full day out of. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Um, but no, you know. So, so that responsibility falls on the manufacturers to large extent. Um, and uh, I wish I wish it would change, but I don't think it's going to. And there's also the rush. You know, that's part of the, our web culture now. Is mm. Google and all the other Web 2.0 companies? They don't know what a finished product looks like. 
Yeah. When was the last time Google finished off a piece of software to 100? percent They don't. They don't. They're the perpetual beta company. Yeah. 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 And they and consequently they spend zero on support. Mm-hmm. So they leave it to us to figure it out. I mean that drives me crazy. So you you know I mean you know try and figure out you know well you guys are on YouTube. Try and figure out how to do things in YouTube with your account and how to manage oh, things. And, you know what? It's, it's just. Oh, it's just a nightmare. And, and who do you turn to for support? You uh, don't. The, you turn to forums and other users. Yeah. Who then all of a sudden you're in these forums where guys are calling you an idiot and you know, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff or leading you down the garden path. I mean, and a lot of times you do get good, you do get sure. good feedback as well. But oh my gosh, you know, who, wh- whenever did it become uh, acceptable to send out a piece of software at eighty percent and say that's it, we're done, we're starting on the next version now? Mm, I guess. Uh, I guess when it's free. <laughs> That's like you said, you put your time into it, right? Yeah, but, but even stuff that free. you're paying for, it yeah, it's 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 free. We pay for free-ish. it through our time. That's it. You know, and that's and, the value yeah. of it. Yeah, and yeah. and and what's what better example than email software? We spend more money, more time in the email than anything. Yeah. And all of the email apps out there, all of them, suck to one degree or another. There is not a great email app on the planet, which is ironic, because really. what's the most used yeah. online service? Exactly. Email. Ladies and gentlemen and technophiles, thank you for listening to another ranty show. Steve Dotto, you are on fire, as I mentioned earlier. Thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Um, where can people get a hold of you? DottoTech.com is my website. At DottoTech is my online side. Uh, Facebook page. Facebook page is all of a sudden awesome. It used to suck. Now it's good. Uh, <laughs> Facebook.com slash DottoTech. So any of those places, uh, I have a mail form if people want to contact me on the website that actually comes into my inbox and I actually read all the email and I actually reply to most of it if you're not an idiot. So there we go. <laughs> awesome. Ooh. That's um, what you guys got in touch with me, wasn't it? You got in touch through the contact me form. Uh, well, I I through meetup actually because I heard uh, you were doing a meetup uh, um, thing and I, I, I talked to uh, the guy that was organized and said hey I'd love to get Steve on the show and he said yeah and they gave me your email so that was a little of a backdoor approach but yeah uh, I would have probably done it on Facebook because I've done that before and introduced myself or G plus is another great way to get a hold of people I don't spend as much time on G plus I'm just getting into it a lot on LinkedIn though LinkedIn too LinkedIn say hi to me on LinkedIn yeah LinkedIn is awesome I think they're in a tipping point right now because everybody I'm talking to is like LinkedIn this and LinkedIn that so yeah, flavor of the month the pricing structure they're, they're they're charging too much for their premium services they've got to oh, they've got to readjust pricey readjust boys listen are you listening LinkedIn <laughs> readjust bring the masses in uh, yes hey so thanks again for listening and uh, from me it's a fond adieu a fond adieu from me too We hope you enjoyed the show, and I'm sure you will love our next guest, but until then, visit the website at maveninterviews.com for more information and links to iTunes, Twitter, and other social media platforms. If you would like to leave a message, please call 1-877-636-1474. You never know, it might be you featured on the show.